नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम ज्ञानाश्चनाश्लाकायाचक्षुर्मिलिताजनाशलाकायाचक्षुर्मिलिताजनाशलाकायाचक्षुर्मिलिताजनाशलाकायाचक्षुर्मिलिताजनाशला
Fulfilling my vow and sacrificing his own promise, he got down from the chariot, took up its wheel, and ran towards me hurriedly. Just as a lion goes to kill an elephant, he even dropped his outer garment on the way. Purport. The battle of Kurukshetra was fought on military principles, but at the same time in a sporting spirit, like a friend's fight with another friend. Duryodhan criticized Bhishmadev, alleging that he was reluctant to kill Arjuna because of paternal affection. A Kshatriya cannot tolerate insults on the principle of fighting. Bhishmadev therefore promised that the next day he would kill all five Pandavas with special weapons made for the purpose. Duryodhan was satisfied, and he kept the arrows with him to be delivered the next day during the fight. By tricks, Arjuna took the arrows from Duryodhan, and Bhishmadev could understand that this was the trick of Lord Krishna. So he took a vow that the next day Krishna would have to take up weapons himself, otherwise his friend Arjuna would die. In the next day's fighting, Bhishmadev fought so violently that both Arjuna and Krishna were in trouble. Arjuna was almost defeated. The situation was so tense that he was about to be killed by Bhishmadev the very next moment. At that time, Lord Krishna wanted to please his devotee, Bhishma, by keeping Bhishma's promise, which was more important than his own. Seemingly, he broke his own promise. He promised before the beginning of the battle of Kurukshetra that he would remain without weapons and would not use his strength for either of the parties. But to protect Arjuna, he got down from the chariot, took up the wheel of the chariot, and hurriedly rushed at Bhishmadev in an angry mood as a lion goes to kill an elephant. He dropped his covering cloth on the way, and out of great anger, he did not know that he had dropped it. Bhishmadev at once gave up his weapons and stood to be killed by Krishna, his beloved lord. The fighting of the day was thus ended at that very moment, and Arjuna was saved. Of course, there was no possibility of Arjuna's death because the lord himself was on the chariot. But because Bhishmadev wanted to see Lord Krishna take up some weapon to save his friend, the Lord created this situation, making Arjuna's death appear imminent. He stood, he stood before Bhishmadev to show him that his promise was fulfilled and that he had taken up the wheel. This is a very intense scene that um, Srila Prabhupada describes in his purport. And we know that this uh, chapter that we're reading takes place after the battle of Kurukshetra and everybody's, the battles, you know, fought, the winners and losers have been decided. And Bhishmadev, right now he's praying, he's on his deathbed, he has this boon that he can leave his body at his own will. And he's in such a state that his body is completely broken down. And, you know, in this day and age, he probably would be dead. But since he has this boon, He's able to decide the exact moment he gets to leave his body. And he is waiting for Krishna to show up, and when he does, he starts singing these beautiful prayers. And he's specifically talking about a scene, an event that happened during the battle. And before the battle of Kurukshetra, um, there was an incident that happened in the Mahabharata, which Duryodhana and Arjuna both went to go see Krishna, to ask for him to take a side. And I'm trying to remember this story correctly. Krishna was sleeping, 
And Duryodhan was standing at his feet because he was thinking when Krishna wakes up, he'll look straight on. So Arjuna was standing at his head. And so when Krishna woke up, he looked up and he saw Arjuna first. And he was like, oh, he was so pleased to see his friend, Arjuna. And he immediately said, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? And Duryodhan was like, I was here first. You know, you've got to give me that first um, benefit. And um, Krishna understood that at that moment, both parties were going to ask him for his, which side he was going to be on. So he said, well, you can choose. You can have me or you can have my army. And his army is vast. I mean, whoever had his army would have the sheer numbers on their side because his army was so vast. So Durya then said, but I want your, I'll take your army, but it's still, you know, you, if you're, you're Supreme Personality of Godhead, if you fight, then no matter what, whoever's on the other side is going to lose. So Krishna made this vow that, okay, I will be on Arjuna's chariot, has his charioteer, but I won't fight. I won't take up weapons myself. And so Krishna made this promise to his devotees. And here we see that Krishna, just to please his devotees, will break his own promises. And so what we can see here is that Krishna always pleases his devotees. We please Krishna, but he also pleases us. And it's a very sweet and intimate relationship here that's being described. I mean, a lot of this happened out of anger and the heat of the battle. And it's very interesting because if you imagine it all playing out, you know, you can see like um, Krishna is just on the verge of killing Bhishmadev. And then the, the conch or the bell sounds that the fighting for the day is over. So he's saved. And when we think of war, we don't think of war as having such rules that, you know, you fight from, for a certain time in a certain location, and that's it. Once the fighting is done, once the day is done, you, start fight, you stop fighting, and both parties go to their respective sides and rest and relax, and there's no thought of the other side um, not upholding this type of fighting style or this type of battle. Of course, nowadays in war, like what do they say, all's fair in love and war. So, you know, you'll have espionage, you'll have somebody come over at the middle of the night and try to slay the soldiers, or you have people hiding and, you know, like snipers fighting um, that are unseen. They have bombs planted so that people don't know, you know, the mines that they're going to be stepping on it and possibly set off a um, bomb. Back in the, you know, the days of the Kurukshetra, the Mahabharata, that kind of warfare is unheard of. It's not following the rules of how a Kshatriya does battle. They don't do it you know, secretly and um, slyly. It's out in the open. You know, they have a certain time that they're going to battle. So it's very interesting that this is what's being upheld here. So... At that moment, Krishna gets very angry because he's protecting his devotee, Arjuna. And you could say, well, what about Bhishma as his devotee? Well, you know, he sees how it all plays out, that this is what's going to happen. And, it, you know, if he really was going to kill Bhishma Dev, he could have done it earlier in the day. 
he wo- waited until the last minute so that he could fulfill Bhishma Dev's um, promise that he would take up weapons and yet not kill him at the same time and not really engage in battle because all he did was pick up a, a weapon and threaten to kill Bhishma Dev. But he didn't actually engage in battle. So in some ways, he still kept his promise, but he didn't keep his promise because he picked up a weapon. So this just shows that Krishna, everything that he does is in a way to please us so that we become more endeared to him. If we look at all the pastimes of Vrindavan, um, the Krishna that's described here is in a very different mood than all the pastimes of Vrindavan. But the thing that they have in common is that in all pastimes, Krishna is really looking to please his devotees so that the attachment and affection that we feel for him increases. Whether or not we're talking about him lifting Govardhan Hill or doing the Rasalila or fighting in the Battle of Kurukshetra, it's all to please his devotees. And especially in his form as Krishna, this is his main goal. I mean, we can say that's his main goal in any of the forms he comes into. You know, even as Lord Nishingadev, which is a very um, ferocious form of Krishna, half lion, half man, he still, his main purpose of coming was to please Prahlad Maharaj. It, yeah, and secondary, he's annihilating the miscreants, but he comes to please his devotees. So in that sense, also, if we look at all of the incarnations of um, Krishna, when they come down to earth. They have a specific reason. They have a specific demon that they're fighting, but they have other things like devotees that they're also uh, sweetening their relationship with, his relationship with them. So we want to relish this um, relationship that we have with Krishna, this reciprocation that he gives to us. And we can think, well, you know, Arjuna was his very dear friend and cousin, and Bhishmadev was also a dear friend. And they were present with him on earth, you know, at the same time as he was here. We don't have that luxury. We are puttering around in this material world, trying to figure, out, figure it all out, like figure out, you know, how do we survive? How do we pay the bills? How do we maintain a family? How do we please Krishna? And maybe somewhere in there that idea of how to please Krishna is in there. But mostly there's so many other things that we're worried about. And so our thoughts of pleasing Krishna isn't always on the forefront. And even so, in that small way, he still reciprocates with us. <clears throat> the mo- you know, we can be going for thousands and thousands of lifetimes. And the moment we say, Krishna, who's Krishna? What's this Krishna? Krishna gets so pleased that we are just even like thinking about him or even thinking about thinking about him that he immediately takes interest in us and looks to see how he can please us that, so that we can become endeared to him. And the problem is, is sometimes the actions that, or that, we, that he takes or the results of those actions that we undergo don't seem like they're meant to please us, you know, for instance, um, somebody could have gone through, a, uh, their house could have lit on fire, and they've lost all their possessions, and they just start all over again, in a way, start fresh. 
And it's hard to see in that moment that Krishna is doing this to please us. If we're, you know, if we've taken up this process of figuring out who Krishna is and what our relationship to him is. Because it seems like this is a hardship, and why wouldn't he protect us from this? But we just don't know until later on how that's going to play out and what that'll lead to, what that challenge will lead us to do, and where we'll end up as a result of that challenge. And we can't know that until we look back. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty. So we can't know, you know, we've got, we've, still kind of in the middle of this pandemic. And there's so many lessons that have already been learned, but we won't know exactly where our life will lead us in five, 10 years as a result of everything that's happened in the last 18 months or so. But we can imagine that whatever it is will be for the best for our um, spiritual growth, for our relationship with Krishna, will be more endearing to us to the Krishna to bring us to Krishna. I've shared this story before, but for me, one of the biggest hardships of the pandemic of lockdown was the decrease in association. You know, I'm very much an extrovert. I very much get energy from being around people. And prior to the pandemic, I basically had events or something that I was going to every night of the week, whether it was social, whether it was, you know, a Bhagavad Gita, meeting, um, reading, meetings, something like that. It was always around people in the evenings. And when the pandemic happened, the lockdown happened, that ended. And at first it was like, okay, this is, they said, only for two weeks. And so, you know, you think, okay, I can handle two weeks. It's rough, but you can handle it. Like 14 days goes by like that. You think about it, two weeks ago was Janmashtami, like, like almost like a long time, a lot of stuff has happened in those two weeks, but it's also flown by. It was like a blink of an eye, and we're already past Radhashtami. So I was thinking in that moment, two weeks isn't that hard. And then towards the end of the two weeks, they said, okay, we're going to extend it for another two or three weeks. And that's when it hit me. Like, whoa, how long is this going to last? Like, Am I going to have to, like, how am I going to figure this out without people? And, and it was just like, I, I didn't know what to do. And I, in some ways, I started to feel a little depressed, a little sad. I didn't know how to cope. But slowly, I started to figure out that there are other ways. Like, I started attending different virtual workshops, which were fine, but there was not a lot of interaction in there. In there. I still got some interaction. And then um, they had this huge weekend of Vaishnavi's seminar retreat. It was, it was something that was probably planned in person, and they decided to do it online and open it up to everybody. And so I attended that, and I, like, there was a few sessions that were more interactive, and I got to meet people. And then from that, there was a lot more interactions that were created. And then we started this. It was a few Vaishnavis and I, we started this group, kind of like a Krishna support group. And we meet, we were initially meeting three times a week, and then slowly that kind of dropped down for me one time a week, and I think each person kind of chose which day. But at the same time, like that constant association and discussing Krishna and discussing our struggles 
really helped me and helped me feel like I wasn't missing out on association. Plus, I was very fortunate that I got to continue dressing the deities. But what I learned from that, just from that short time, is that no matter what challenge there appears, there's always a solution, and Krishna will always provide that solution. We just have to have firm faith and belief that he'll do so. Sometimes it's hard because we think that things will only happen if we make them happen, if we endeavor extremely hard to do something. Um, and in some cases, we have to make some endeavor, but we also have to keep in mind that Krishna will take care of the results and the outcome and take care of us. So in some ways, we can feel entitled to Krishna's protection. Just as Arjuna in this moment, you know, Bhishma Dev could have killed him, but he in some sense had no worries because he knew he had Krishna's protection at all times. And we have Krishna's protection at all times. We just have to remember that and realize that and have that be our guiding um, force in our lives. No matter what else is happening, we always know that Krishna has got our back. He's always going to protect us, no matter what, even if it doesn't seem like it. We just have to hold on to that firm faith that there is something behind this. He's teaching us something. You know, if something is going really wrong and it's really hard to think of, oh, Krishna is doing this for me, we can always take a moment and say, okay, first you can ask yourself, what am I feeling? Like, what is the emotions? And put names to those emotions and feelings that you're feeling in that moment. And then say, okay, what is that emotion telling me? If something's happening and it's bringing up anger in me, what is that anger telling me? Why am I angry? What can I learn from this situation? Um, what, where, what other times in my life did I feel angry like this? And you can then start to see, okay, wait, I'm feeling this way because back, you know, five, ten years ago, someone said this to me or this happened to me several times, and it now is creating these feelings of helplessness or... Um, lack of power, and now it's making me angry because someone said this to me, it's, and it's triggering that, um, those memories subconsciously. It may not put them together right away until you start digging. So then you can say, okay, that's what it's teaching me, then how can I not react? Where, you know, how can I go from here? And a lot of times, you know, whether we feel sad or angry or hurt or disappointed, it all comes down to somewhat feeling helpless and not having any power. And what I realized is that, yes, that's true. We are helpless, and we have no power, but that's actually, recognizing that is actually very powerful, because then we, can, we are more um, likely to say to Krishna, I have no power. I'm so helpless. I surrender to you. And therefore, you can take care of me. But when we fight and try to just, you know, push our way to get the power and to not feel that helplessness, we're not surrendering to Krishna. So it's very powerful. We can lean into this feeling of helplessness and make it a positive thing, you know, especially because the person that we are surrendering to and depending on is Krishna, and he never lets us down. 
we may feel that it's not a good thing to be helpless or powerless because we've had situations in which um, somebody took advantage of that and may have hurt us or um, you know, physically, emotionally, mentally, in some way, like we depended on someone and they hurt us, then we can think, well, I don't want to feel like that, therefore I'm always going to try to feel powerful. And we try to equate surrendering to Krishna to how we felt when we were dependent on someone. And it's not the same, because Krishna is all-powerful. He can, he can be everybody's, uh, we're Krishna's dependent and he's our protector. He can be everybody's protector equally and equally protect everyone without playing any favorites. He just, when we start to notice and understand that he's protecting us, he just gives us a little bit more love and affection, but he has that for everyone. So if everyone, of all 8 billion people in the world, all of a sudden turned to Krishna and said, okay, I surrender to you, please protect us, it would be nothing to him to protect every single person, every single 8 billion person, plus all of the species of life in addition to the humans, to protect everyone it's just like as much as protecting one person. It's not anything more for him. So in that sense, we can really rest assured and depend on it. Like, okay, I'm entitled to Krishna's protection and uh, love and affection. So what am I going to do for that? When you start to, I mean, we can see how he can be more, you know, he's affectionate towards Arjuna and Bhishma. And he's protecting Arjuna, but he's also protecting Bhishma, even though it doesn't seem like it in this particular instance uh, of the scene that's happening during Kurukshetra. Because it seems like he's about to attack Bhishma Dev. But again, it's perfectly orchestrated so that he doesn't actually kill him. He just takes up the arms so that he pleases Bhishma Dev and he still upholds his promise to some extent. But more important than upholding his promise was to uphold Bhishmadev's promise. So this is the intricacies of Krishna, and we can try to understand them, but really it comes down to understanding that we just are touching just the tip of, of this mercy, of this nectar that he's providing us. And that just drop of it is enough for us, really. We start to think of this, this scene and so many other instances in which Krishna you know, plays the helpless child, and, you know, but at the same time mischievous, stealing the butter, you know, stealing the clothes of the gopis. He does all these things so that it increases our sweetness and our, our affection for him. So we want to keep in mind that Krishna is the goal, that to please Krishna is the goal. And we do that by surrendering to him with the nine processes of devotional service. Hearing, chanting, remembering him, serving him, worshiping him, offering prayers to Krishna, becoming Krishna's servant, considering Krishna our best friend, and surrendering everything to him. And so we chant japa, our mantra meditation, 
you chant on beads the Hare Krishna Mahamantra. We chant that so that we can remember who we are in relation to Krishna. You know, when we, we've touched on this a little bit previously, on goal setting, you know, you set your goal. Our goal is to please Krishna and to always remember him. So we have action steps to those goals. And those action steps are chanting japa, um, some of these things, honoring prasadam, associating with each other, um, sharing stories of Krishna, you know, and that's how we can remember him all the time. But with any goal, really what it comes down to is who do you have to become to achieve that goal? For instance, you know, if we're talking about a common goal that a lot of people have, including myself, is weight loss. We want to lose weight, we want to be healthier, we want to be fit. And so, we, you know, if you tell anyone, like, okay, I want to lose weight, we all pretty much know what we need to do, right? Eat healthy, exercise, sleep, um, drink water, avoid, you know, sodas and alcoholic beverages. And, you know, we know all these things that we need to do. So what, what ends up happening is we have to figure out how to get those action steps into our lives. So in some ways, the action steps themselves are more important than the actual goal. Because the goal is inevitable if you do the action steps. So it's like if I want to run a marathon, then I have to start running every single day. Then I can become a runner. So the goal is no longer to run a marathon. It's to become a runner, to run every single day, to have that be a part of what I do every day. So our goal is to, be, is to please Krishna, to become a devotee of Krishna. Well, the action steps is to chant japa. But we chant japa, and our goal is to chant japa. So we chant japa, we chant, you know, mantra meditation every single day so that we can engage in more attentive mantra meditation every single day. And that is an activity that even once we, I guess you would say, please Krishna, we still continue to do because our relationship with Krishna only deepens the more we do it. So it's an action step, but it's also the goal. And the habits that we create are just as important, if not more important, than the goal that we're setting. Because like I said, the goal is inevitable. You know, I can make this goal that I want to lose weight, and then I start exercising and eating healthy, and all of a sudden I notice that I have more energy, and, you know, I'm sleeping better, and I have more clarity, and I can think better, and um, so many different things. But what if the weight didn't really change? Does that mean that the action steps I took had no benefit? It doesn't. It just means that how my body is going to use those beneficial activities varies from somebody else who, you know, can just decrease half of their meal every day and lose so much weight, whereas you know, somebody else has to work a little harder or do different things. So we all have our um, challenges, but at the end of it, it's still about what we do, how we establish ourselves every single day. And one of the big things that I always think about in who we are becoming, you know, when we talk about becoming a devotee, the qualities of a devotee are very important when we talk about that. You know, who, what is a devotee? Who is a devotee? Really, we can see that it's one who is self-realized. They understand that they're not this body. So their actions will definitely portray that, that 
they're equal to everyone. Uh, they're a friend to everyone. Nobody's their enemy. They're compassionate, full of kindness, um, truthful, cleanliness, both in mind and in body. Um, so these are some of the qualities that we would see. Well, you know, if you're talking about cleanliness in mind and body, it's getting into the habit of washing your body every single day, but also making sure that you're not feeding your mind junk food, which is so much of a struggle when you're addicted to TV as much as I am. So, you know, those kinds of things, we have to look at what are we watching, what are we reading, what are we taking in, how are we thinking about things? Those are all things that we can think about as far as cleansing our mind. So those are steps that we can take, but at the end of it, it's, it's, the, it's not just the process, it's the end goal is the process. So when we're talking about cleaning our mind, becoming more compassionate, becoming equal to everyone, I always have to highlight the attitude of gratitude because that's really where we can surrender, right? We feel grateful to Krishna for always taking care of us. We have to recognize that he's taking care of us. Um, and so when we recognize that, then we can really tap into that gratitude that we feel towards him. We can feel gratitude towards Srila Prabhupada, our own spiritual masters, for helping us and guiding us along on our spiritual path and journey that brings us to Krishna. We can be grateful to all the devotees that give us association that help strengthen our relationship to Krishna and to each other. We can feel grateful to the devotees who take care of the deities so nicely, you know, cooking for them um, every day, feeding them, worshiping them, dressing them, bathing them, making garlands for them. There's so many things that they do that happen behind the scenes that when we see Radha Kalachandi, they are presented in such a way for us to increase our affection towards him so we can feel grateful to all of these processes. And I talked about feeling entitled. We want to feel entitled with a sense of gratitude. Like when we pray, we pray as if Krishna's already taken care of us, right? We don't pray like, oh, Krishna, please take care of me. We say, Krishna, thank you so much for taking care of me. Even if it doesn't seem like it to someone else, we are changing our mindset, our perception in such a way that we are seeing every challenge as Krishna taking care of us. So when we are working from an attitude of gratitude, then we can serve Krishna in a way that pleases him even more because we do it in a with this attitude of gratitude that we're serving him without anything in return, but we also know he's going to return. Like, it's kind of a given, right? That's not the reason why we're trying to please him. We're not saying, okay, I'm going to please Krishna, and then therefore he's going to um, give me this boon of being rich and powerful. No, you don't go to Krishna for that. You go to Krishna because the only thing that you'll get from him is him, and that's really all we want from him. And conversely, the only thing that we have to offer Krishna is ourselves. Krishna has everything but us. He has everything but me. And so the only thing I can offer to him is me. And how do I do that is by 
devoting my entire life to him. Process, you know, we talk about gradually, step by step. It doesn't happen overnight, but it happens with intention, with the idea that this is what my goal is, and these are the steps that I'm taking to get there. So we can pray with um, this attitude of gratitude towards Krishna and thank him for everything that he's given us and everything he will give us and realizing that whatever he's put in our place is for us. One of my favorite quotes that I've heard in this last year during the pandemic is, you know, realize that everything is happening for you and not to you. So Krishna is doing what he's doing for us and not to us. So I'll end there and ask if there are any questions. All right. Then, Sarantara Srimad Bhagavatam ki, 